Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. I've got several messages coming up through this, this, the rest of this month that I just want to talk about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, who we are, how the world can see him, how we can represent him, what he's done. Did I say what he's done? What he's done, what he's done, what he's done. Not what he's going to do. Hello. And unfortunately, our scriptures are not going to work. And I'm reading just about the whole Bible today. So get your iPads or your iPods or your Androids or whatever out. Hopefully you've got some sort of Bible. And, you know, we'll get these posted up and, um, so you can go back and review these passages. But I, I want to make you think today. Y'all ready for that? You know, I, I don't want to just coast through. I, I, man, I don't want to play church. So, I'm going to make you think. Don't throw rocks at me, because I'm just going to read some scripture. Let me ask you, is Jesus God? Yes. So, here's John 1.1. If you can keep up, good, but don't let that distract you. If you don't keep up, just make sure you're listening. John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word is God. It's an aspect. It's a facet. It's God. The word Word here is the word Logos. And it's not just written Word. The word Logos is actually where we get the word logic from. So the word Word, the word Logos, has more to do with the character and the logic behind what's being spoken or even written. So When you think about this, the Word was God, and the Word is God. In the beginning was the Word. So in the beginning was the logic of God, the way God thinks, the character behind who God is. You know, if I, me and Charles shake hands here, and we've got an agreement, and there's no written contract, the only thing we've got is our Word, what I represent, who I am, the, the, the integrity behind our agreement is in this. It's like that with God. His word is, it's the way how he does things, how he sees things. And I really like, from an Eastern perspective, looking at how they understand this word. If you, if you read this passage in a Chinese Bible, I think it's Mandarin. There's like tons of different dialects. But it says, um, the Tao. In the beginning was the Tao, the T-A-O. Now, for Eastern concepts, they understand the Tao as the way things naturally work. So whether they're Christians or Buddhists or whatever they are, they can look at the world and recognize, okay, the trees bring in carbon dioxide and release oxygen. The water flows and sustains our body. Everything is in harmony together. There's a way to the world. There's a a design. There's an intelligence behind the way everything works. That's the way. They look at that and they understand there is a creative intelligence at work in the universe. That's the way, the Tao, the Logos, how it all works together. 
So God's way, the way he thinks, became a human. John 1, 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, it wasn't like the Bible took on some skin. It was everything about the way God works became a human. You look at Jesus. He said it. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. There's more to this Jesus guy than I think we've, you know, sometimes we just think, oh, Jesus was here running around. You know, it's like it's weird because we attribute all this Godhood to him, but then again, we don't really look at him as the full revelation of who God is. You know, it's like we want to look at Jesus, and then when something happens outside of, in this world, and we don't have an answer for it, then we don't go to Jesus. What do we do? Well, my mama said, you know, I just always believe this. My preacher told me this when I was a kid, and I don't really even know why he said that, but I believe it. No, Jesus. Jesus is the complete, full expression of God, of who he is, how he thinks, the way that he works, the way that he treats people. That's, how, that's God, man. You want to know God? Look at Jesus. That's your homework for this month. Pick a gospel, any gospel, and read it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and watch how Jesus treated people. And, and in light of how does God see humanity, how does God see people? Because it's Jesus interacting with people. You get that? So, yes, Jesus is the Word of God made flesh, the way of God, the logic, everything that God is, the character, who he, how he does stuff, became flesh. But, now this is the part where you've got to think. I'm going to twist your brain a little bit. Can God be tempted? James 1 13, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. All right, God can't be tempted. Let no man say when he's tempted, he's tempted of God. That's a whole other sermon. That's like one of my favorite things. But God can't be tempted. Was Jesus tempted? Yes. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Is temptation sin? No. no. Because Jesus was tempted. Did Jesus sin? Okay, good. Y'all are all on path. Now, can God be tempted? Was Jesus tempted? I mean, I'm just reading Scripture. So you're, are you saying Jesus was not God? No, I'm not saying Jesus wasn't God. Let's keep going. We're going to look at the humanity of Jesus to really grasp. See, there's a paradox here, and I'm not going to fine-tune all of this stuff for you. Like I said, I want you to think, I want you to go search this stuff out and develop a relationship with God where you walk by revealed knowledge, you walk by spiritual knowledge, not just absolutes, black and white. 
Because if you just read those two scriptures together, it sounds like the Bible's contradicting itself, doesn't it? In light of who we think Jesus is. So there must be something about this aspect of who Jesus is where he could be tempted, but yet he was still the revealed aspect and full expression of who God is. So then people will say, well, he was 100% God and 100% man. I don't know how you can be 200% of something, but, you know, I mean, that sounds good, but it's not really in the Bible. But I'm not saying that he wasn't God, so don't throw rocks at me. I'm just going to keep reading here. Isaiah 9, 6. The point of this is going to be so that you understand the humanity of Jesus, what he went through, what he's done, and who we now are in this earth as humans because of what he did as a human. So Isaiah chapter 9, it's going to be in verse 6. Isaiah 9, 6. Are you thinking? Y'all okay so far? Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. All right, Daniel 7, Daniel 7, verse 13. So, we have this prophecy that a child is coming, that the government will be upon his shoulders, and to the end of his kingdom, that there shall be no end to his kingdom. So, it's wrapped up in this person. The kingdom is established through this person, this entity, this child. Daniel 7, verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. This phrase, son of man, is really, really interesting. If I could give you two homework assignments, one of which is this month, read through the Gospels, maybe even one a week, and just watch how Jesus treated people. And the other is, look for this phrase, son of man. Now, it's actually used 88 times in the New Testament, and most of it, it's Jesus talking of himself. Over and over and over, I'm the son of man, the son of man. You know, he would cast out demons, and the demons would come flying out, and they'd say, what are you doing, son of God? You're here before the time. Are you here to torment us? Please have mercy on a son of God. Why are you here, son of God? See, they wanted to appeal to this divinity aspect of who he was, and he would say, I'm the son of man. I'll leave that hanging for a minute. We'll keep going here. So, in the vision, in my vision at night, this is Daniel 7, I looked and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, so the Father, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Praise God. His kingdom ain't going anywhere. Where, where is his kingdom? Yeah, right here. You know, every, that's, that's the, you might, 
I'm gonna, like I said, I'm gonna make you think this week. I'm not, I'm kind of in teacher mode, but I'm just in, I'm gonna mess with your brains a little bit. <laughs> Who likes quantum mechanics stuff or just like that physics stuff? I know y'all all read that in your spare time, but <laughs> there's this principle of non-locality where, and, and you read ancient stuff like, even like the Tao, you know, where they say, the Tao is everything, yet it is nothing. It is everywhere, yet it is nowhere. It is this and it is not that at the same time. And it's like, so then you read quantum physics stuff and it sounds the same, it's just scientific language. Everything is at one place, but it's at no place. Everything is matter, but yet matter is only perception and possibility. So it's like every, this everything is and everything isn't all at the same time concept. That's like the kingdom. You know, we think, where is it? It's like this dimension. It's unseen. Because, see, we live in dimensions where you move forward. That's one dimension. You can go this way and this way. That's another dimension. You go up and down. That's a third dimension. And you can move around in those three dimensions, and we move, right? We consider that movement and living. Einstein said time is a fourth dimension, but it only goes in one direction. I'm sure you all understand that. I don't really get that, but I can get the principle. You think about time, right? Where's time? It's not up or down, forward, backward. It's just, it's all around you. Time, you're experiencing it. It has an effect on you, but where is it? That's the way the kingdom is. The kingdom is all around you. It's a dimension that you're moving in right now. It's affecting you. You're interacting with it. It's in you. It has a logic. It has a influence on you, like time. But it's higher. It's life. Time creates death. The kingdom produces life. Which one do you want? Life. Good answer. <laughs> so the kingdom is not something necessarily that we're standing here waiting to show up. Do you know what I mean? I mean, there will be a more full and complete expression of the kingdom on this planet. Whatever that looks like, whatever from here to next year to a thousand years from now, I don't really know. I don't necessarily have to have those steps defined for me. All I know is that we are engrafted into his kingdom. We are a part of it now. It is having an influence on us to, to the degree that we will allow it. You know, there's another paradox. God is as sovereign as you will let him be. Wait a minute. Is he sovereign or is he not? Well, the children of Israel limited the Holy One as they wandered in the desert, right? Because God shares his authority. I'm getting ahead of myself. So back on this who is Jesus thing, then we'll get to the authority. Philippians 2, verse 5. This good? Are you all? Are you, gonna, are you learning? <clears throat> Sometimes I get into this stuff and it's like, I find this stuff really fascinating and I just hope it benefits. Sometimes I preach out of selfishness. Is that okay? Because I really like this stuff. I'll admit it. Philippians 2, verse 5. <clears throat> so Jesus is the embodiment of the logic, the character, the wisdom, the way of God. God can't be tempted, but Jesus was tempted. How does that happen? Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now we get, Paul is interesting because Paul will drop like this major revelation bomb in the middle of something that, where it seems like it's almost out of context, but it gives 
incredible insight into spiritual truth. And this is one of those places. So he's talking about Jesus, have this attitude, who, all, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. <clears throat> in other words, he didn't see that being in the form of God was something that was like he had to hold on to or something that he could lose, per se. Do you know what I mean? It's like he was okay with who he had been created to be, and it wasn't like this God thing was something that he had to hold on to. So let's keep going. Verse 7, But emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Yeah, in the Greek, this is the great kenosis, the great emptying. So this is where a theological debate sparks. Well, was he God or was he man? Or was he 100% God or was he 100% man? Or was he both or was it what? And, then, and the, theologians sit around and, man, for thousands of years have debated this stuff. I'm not going to try to put it into words where it makes theological sense for you, but I want you to understand Jesus was limited in every way like you. Jesus walking in this earth in his state, it's like he was born, born again, you know what I mean? He, he wasn't born with a sin nature like we are. In fact, in 1 John 4.17 it says that as he is, so are we in this world. I mean, that's incredible. As he is, so are we in this world? Well, how is that? Are you God? No. Are you going to become a God? No. It's the humanity aspect. It's that aspect of Jesus having emptied himself, took upon himself the full limitation of humanity, but followed God. Why is that important? Well, it's important because Jesus knows where you are. He knows what you've been through, and he knows what it's like to be a human with the Spirit of God, having to depend on grace and truth to be led and do only that which the Father was telling him to do and say only that which the Father was telling him to say. So he, in one sense, is an example, but not a standard for us to live up to, but showing us, look, it's possible. I've led the way. I know what it's like. I'm with you. I will not forsake you. Just like the Father led me, he will lead you. All these all these teachings about who the Holy Spirit is. The reason Jesus could teach out of that was because he had experienced it. He knew it. It was experiential knowledge for him to tell you how the Spirit of God works. I've been there, guys. I know what, I know what it's like. Fully limited. So, <clears throat> John 5, 25 John's a good one to really look into the humanity of Jesus because it's, um, well, it's more focused on the humanity of Jesus. <laughs> so John 5, 25, Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who will hear will live. For as the Father 
has life in himself, so has he granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute a judgment. Judgment Also, because he is the Son of Man. See, John 17, Jesus prays this really, really interesting prayer. He says, you know, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready now. I'm ready to take back that glory which I had before I came here. And not only am I ready to take it back, I want to give it to them too. Everybody who will believe and come to me, come to you through me, they're going to get this same glory that Jesus emptied himself from when we come to him. Is that not powerful? You know, again, I... I could give you all these little practical things and my own insights of how I see this, but I just want you to take this, open your heart, and let, let the Holy Spirit do something with this in your heart. Jesus, in Philippians 2, we see that his mindset was this. I'm not, he's not grasping on to Godhood, but he emptied himself, allowing himself to be in the same place that we are, knows exactly what you're going through put down this glory, but then took it back. So it says he emptied himself. The only thing we see Jesus asking God for is this glory. So he must have emptied himself of this glory. So, but why? Why would he have to do that? Why would God have to become a man? Why would a man, a human... (laughs) have to walk this planet and earn salvation? Why would a man have to take the penalty of the law? Why would a man have to conquer the grave and death and obtain the keys? Why would a man have to be able to ascend into those heavenlies with his own spotless blood to gain righteousness? Genesis 1, verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish, over the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth. God gave man dominion over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. The reason God had to empty himself and become a man and be a man full of the Spirit of God, full of grace and truth, in right standing with the Father, walk this earth, is because God couldn't just zap it and make everything okay. Because mankind has dominion over this earth. A man messed it up, a man had to fix it. Even the eternal aspects, a man had to bridge the gap Now, I think this is, if you really think into it, this is where it really benefits that he wasn't born with a sin nature because he was righteous and could bridge that spiritual gap as well. You know, there had to be some aspect of him that was still spiritual and eternal and God to be able to connect physical to spiritual. But, you know, that's that's one of those things. It's like you can't really define that. You just have to realize... Let's look at what Scripture says. And it was a man. He was limited. So, Luke twenty-two, sixty-nine. See, one of the reasons I think it's important to get this 
is because if we see Jesus as having walked this place in the same place that we are, gone through this earth and followed God the same way that we have to, then he elevated us in the same way that he is. I mean, everything about this salvation is an exchange. He became like us so that we could become like him. And we are like him. You're not the Messiah. You're not going to be God. You're not the firstborn. The salvation of the world is not upon your shoulders. But in every other way, and I say that loosely, you're just like him. As he is, so are we in this world. So Luke twenty-two sixty-nine. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. That means there is a man sitting on the throne. Now, it's Jesus having taken back that glory, that eternal Godhood, but yet there's still that aspect of him that's man. See, God is a spirit, right? Doesn't it say that? God is spirit. But there's an aspect of God now that is human, and it's on that throne. And it's a kinsman redeemer that can speak to you from that place, look, we're connected. I'm a man representing all of humanity that will come through me, through my blood, in this eternal place. Man even has authority with God. Now, I'm not saying you can tell him what to do. You know, he's not your Coke machine that you just put in, get what you want out. But you look at uh, Moses prayed change God's mind. Noah prayed and changed God's mind. You know, it's not like God is just this sovereign entity playing chess with our lives and we have no say-so. He's created this as a relationship. This is a family. He's given us a voice. He's given us a say-so. I mean, I, the sovereignty thing's big. I'm telling you, that's, that's a big dividing rod. It's a big dividing point in theology, in church. And, and I'm really not trying to stand on one side or the other of it. Because God is, here's how I see it, if you're wondering. You may want to know how I see it. <laughs> he is fully and absolutely, completely sovereign in the spiritual dimension. But he has chosen to share his sovereignty, his dominion, his authority on this planet with mankind. And he cannot break that word that he gave in Genesis 1.26. That means we've got a part to play in establishing, I don't want to say it that way. I was going to say establishing the kingdom, but you know that gets into some kind of weird theology. But, but revealing and, and communicating the salvation that's available through Christ on this planet. Could God just show up and heal everyone? Let me ask you this. Is there sickness in eternity? No. no. Why? Because that's God's will. That's the way he wants it. Yeah. Right? So do we think he wants something different for this planet? No. no. Well, then why is it different? Amen. It's because he shared that authority with us. We are the limiting factor. I, you know, this is, big, this is big stuff. It's like, well... You know, here's God's perfect will, the garden and eternity. 
Everything else in between is man co-laboring with God and trying to walk this out. So he knew that we couldn't get it right. So he's like, you know what? I got to go down there. I got to go down there, bridge this gap between where they are and where I am so that there is no more veil. Jesus ripped the veil, but yet they can't enter the kingdom unless they're born again. So, <clears throat> Luke 24, 7. You know, again, 88 times Son of Man is in the New Testament. And most of it is Jesus talking about himself. Is this, is this, are you seeing this? Are you getting some stuff out of this? You know, I think church has been dumbed down. I was listening to, I, was re, I read a lot of blogs, and I was reading this guy's blog, and he said he went to, like, one of the most popular churches in the country. And, and I, I really am not trying to be critical. I think it's just where congregations have allowed church to go instead of, you know, following God on our own. It's like, we just want a king. We just want to show up, sit down, you tell us everything, and we'll go home, and we'll blame God or you when it doesn't work for us. And he went to this church, and he wrote a blog about it, and he said, uh, he said, you know, so I was listening, and I was really trying, he said, the good things were said, but I walked away grading the education level of the message, and he said it was about a sixth grade level. I, I, you know, I don't think you're that dumb. Not that sixth grade is dumb, but you know what I mean? I mean, we just come to church too often. It's like, just tell me something good. Make me feel good and I'll go on home. I, I want you to think. And I, I, I want you to gain an appreciation for who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's gone through and where we are with him now. Amen. Amen. So, <clears throat> let's jump down to Hebrews chapter 4. I love Hebrews. I mean, Hebrews is... Romans and Hebrews and Colossians, for me, those are my favorites. <laughs> it's just a little bit. But Hebrews is so powerful, especially when you go back and you understand the Old Covenant. You go back and you understand the sacrificial, Levitical priesthood, and then you read Hebrews and you realize he's not giving warnings of losing your salvation. He's not giving warnings of God waiting to judge you because you keep sinning. He's showing you just how much it's changed now under this new covenant. You can't mix and go back under that old covenant. Man, I'm preaching eight messages here, but Hebrews 4, 14. <clears throat> this is where we're going. This is the point. This is how I want us to engage Jesus this week and depend on him and trust him for leading and guiding is wrapped up in this right here, Hebrews 4.14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast, fast our confession. So you notice when it talks about Jesus in the heavenlies and as the eternal high priest, it's Son of God. But when he's here, it's Son of Man. For we do not, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. All things. Think, think about that. All things Jesus was tempted with. 
Now you're thinking, well, I don't know about that one. You don't know about this one temptation I got. All things, yet without sin. He's conquered it. See, the reason sin has no dominion is because a man that does have dominion defeated it. You're not a slave to sin. Sin has no power in your life unless you choose to let it borrow your dominion. <clears throat> Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. It's a paradox. Sin's defeated, but yet when you need some help, there's mercy and there's grace. Mercy meaning forgiveness, not holding your sin against you. Grace meaning this capacity that works in you, this faith that works in you that's not your own, that empowers you and compels you by love to walk in this earth according to the holiness that you've been given. And it's there in the throne of God, around the throne of God. But a man is also at the throne of God. And because you are in this man, and this man is in you, you have every right to stand before the Father and be continually filled with this grace and truth. Man, we live so subpar, I think, from what's possible. You know, not, not just arguing theology, but, but literally the kind of beings that we are. And, and what Jesus has done in this relationship and this union that he's brought us into, man, it's like we should just naturally live according to what God wants for us. I choose to think that what God wants for me ultimately is like Jesus prayed on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, we all have really great visions of what heaven is like. We're just going to worship all day, and we're going to hang out, and we're going to play with our dogs, and we're going to see our loved ones. And so, you know, let's just kind of, I mean, those are all big ideas, but let's bring this down to where we live, you know. And I've said it, and you've heard it. But Jesus, he knows exactly what you're going through. Not, not just because he's God and he knows everything, but because he's been a human and he's walked through it. Everything that you are tempted with, not just physical, external, dirty sins, but those areas where we lack trust toward God, those areas where it's difficult for us to stay faithful toward God, Jesus faced that. Depression. Jesus faced that. Think about it. Jesus would sit up, man, and look across that, and knowing that some of those people would pass into eternity without God. Can you imagine the kind of weight that was for him? But yet he still remained in joy. We're worried about our families. Man, the whole, every entity ever created, Jesus was aware of. I had this vision one time of Jesus on the cross. And man, it was so real. And it was like in his eyes, he was aware while he was on that cross of every human that had ever lived or ever would live. It's like God let him see 
every person individually that he was dying for. And it was powerful for me because he saw me. It's like I looked back 2,000 years and I could see me. I could see, it was like he was looking at me in the moment that I got born again from the cross. And he was aware of it in that moment. And he was saying, I did this for you. <clears throat> Man, that's, that gets me. That was a moment everything changed for me. I knew in that moment. He did this for me. <clears throat> and the, the effects of it are right now alive inside of you to give you hope, joy, peace. Seeing you as righteous, God's not mad at you because Jesus already paid the price for you. Now what are you going to do? Are you going to live in the lack of faith toward God? You know, I don't mean faith like you get a lot of faith and you get stuff from Him. I just mean trust. You know, do you really live with your life toward, in faith toward God, trusting who Jesus is, what He's done for you, that He's with you, that He, that he was tempted like every way? This is, this is you know, the, the reason we know that Jesus... Okay, one last point. You know, it says in James 1 that when temptation comes, it's a result of lust. And then when lust conceives, it's sin. So temptation is the result of lust. And all lust means is desire. Lust is not evil. Lust is not sin. It just means a desire. I have a desire for something. Now, it can become sinful if we allow temptation to bear fruit. So, Jesus had lust because he was tempted. Now, that just means that Jesus had desire. What did the, G what did the enemy tempt Jesus with? Shortcut to his destiny, what would you say? Power. Food, yeah. Who? Somebody else said something. Any, any different than those three? You're all right. Okay. 40 days you don't eat, you're going to be lusting for some food. You know, neat, uh, who was it? Uh, Freud, Sigmund Freud said that man's deepest desire was sex. Well, you fast for 40 days and put the opportunity for sex or a cheeseburger in front of you. Which one are you going to pick? You're going for the cheeseburger. Food is the deepest desire. Jesus was tempted. And, and, you know, we think that that's kind of just surface logic. Okay, Jesus faced, he was hungry. But, you know, you really think about it. The deepest survival temptation that you could face, the deepest core of what a mankind can deal with, starvation, dehydration, he faced it and he conquered it. The deepest passion, desire that mankind can have. Nope. The Lord is my source. The Lord is my bread. You got, I have stuff to eat you don't even know about, Jesus would say. 
very profound in this temptation of not giving in and turning those rocks into bread to eat. What else did he tempt him with? Come on up here, look at all these kingdoms, they're mine, which was a lie. I don't think that mankind gave authority to the devil. Mankind never lost authority. We just became willing participants in the enemy's lies. We still had authority. The devil just tricked us into letting us or using it for him and following him. So, <clears throat> Jesus, think about it. Jesus had read all these prophecies as a child. He knew who he was. He was gaining the knowledge of he was the Messiah, that of the end of his kingdom there would be no end, that he would rule and reign and his kingdom would be established on the earth. And so the, the enemy says, here, I've got these kingdoms. You want these? Just worship me. So Jesus had that desire to be and become all that stuff that was prophesied about what the Messiah would be. And the big one was what? Who are you? So, right, Jesus walks up. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Baptizes him. Comes up out of the water. The voice of God says, This is my Son. You can't, you can't have a more declaration, a, a stronger declaration of identity than a, a parent calling a child, This is my, this is my, this was mine. Is my child. So Jesus ends up out in the desert. What's the thing he tempts him with? Are you really the Son of God? If you are the Son of God, then do this. Perform to prove your identity. Man, we do that all the time. We even get in good charismatic churches and we get tricked into thinking that we've got to perform spiritually to prove our identity. <sighs> no, you've just come up out of that water with Christ. You have ascended with him and the father looks at you and says, my child, this is my child. Now go into this earth and I will lead you and guide you. And all these things will follow you as you walk as my child in this earth. But the reason you have that kind of relationship is because Jesus, as a man, as a human, conquered everything that the devil had, conquered all the limitations of this created dimension, bridged that gap so that that spiritual place can influence this place, and we can walk with God totally unhindered fully accepted before him because of what Jesus did as a man and brought us into his place of eternal righteousness. Is that incredible or what? <clears throat> Jesus, we thank you. We, we don't want to take this salvation lightly. God, we repent even for seeing ourselves in a different light other than what you see in us, and that is Jesus. As he is, so are we. 
I don't want to now start trying to throw a bunch of religious uh, expectations or theological arguments on top of that. I just want this identity of who we are in you to be enough and remain. And then whatever fruit is born out of that and us following you, let it be self-evident. Jesus, we thank you. We are totally committed to you. Are you committed to Jesus? I mean, honestly, do you trust him? Thank you, Lord. Jesus, I trust you. I thank you for what you've done for me. And I will be a light in this world for you. Amen.